Happy Halloween, my loves, and welcome to the One Take Wonder podcast with the Hot Weird Girl. I'm the Hot Weird Girl in question, Alexia, and this is the 30th episode of this podcast, which comes out every Monday night, but late Monday night, like the late night show, but better. Um, Thank you so much for listening and being here. The audience has grown so much, which has been incredible. Um, I see all your tweets, your DMs, the support that you guys give on live, and it really means a lot to me to even have this podcast in a space where over 300 people have reviewed it, and there's now an audience of like 1,600. Like, It puts tears in my eyes, and I cry a little bit. on my lunch break today because I opened up Twitter and I saw people who I didn't even follow and I didn't even know who they were talking about how much they like my podcast. So shout out to you. You really made what was otherwise like a really crappy Monday. Um, yeah. And I just, I can't thank you enough because it has been incredible to have a space to talk about my ideas. And this week I want to talk about something very spooky and scary. And that's the novel Carrie by Stephen King. Now, it's totally okay if you've never seen the movie Carrie in, I think, all four of its adaptions, or if you've never read Stephen King's, um, I believe it was a 1979 novel, 1974 horror novel. I will explain the plot to you, but more important than the plot for this episode is just an understanding that parental neglect is what often makes kids the target for bullying, that using the story of Carrie, I'm going to go on to argue that there's almost ascent that neglected kids carry around that make them rife for abuse not only from their peers but also from teachers who can kind of sense that they won't get any shit for picking on this kid or taking out their angst to them because nobody loves them it's the smelly kid in the back of the class who seems to wear the same clothes every day and unfortunately kids lack the empathy to realize that that kid likely didn't have access to a washer and a dryer or a parent who cared or who was able to supply them with clean clothes Set in 1979 in Chamberlain, Maine, the plot of Carrie revolves around protagonist Carrie White, a friendless, bullied high school girl from an extremely abusive religious household who discovers she has telekinetic powers. Now, the thing about Carrie's household is she has two parents, a father and a mother. Her father passes away when she's very young, so she's raised for her whole life by a single mother who is devoutly religious, part of some weird evangelical belief um, that involves a lot of praying and religious zeal that makes her sort of an outcast from the town. So Carrie already is a descendant of an outcast. But then there's the fact that her mother spiritually, physically, and emotionally abuses Carrie. Carrie has telekinetic powers, the ability to move objects and eventually people using only her mind and her sheer willpower, a power that first manifests itself when she's four years old. After this event, wherein Carrie makes rocks rain down on her house after her mother tells her no, Carrie's mother actually contemplates killing Carrie and then later changes her mind. And this is the second time at four years old that Carrie's mother has decided that she wants to kill Carrie um, and completely rejects her. Carrie's mother is never particularly kind or nice to her, but still Carrie loves her anyway because that's her mother and really the closest thing to love that she's ever known. So this is sort of the home background for Carrie, who then goes into school and is incredibly bullied. Now, it's important to understand that Carrie in the novel is described as physically grotesque. Carrie is fat, and I'm not saying this as my own condemnation of her weight, but rather that Stephen King uses her weight and the fat phobia that she experiences from 
her, her peers, from teachers, from other townspeople as a physical manifest manifestation of the revulsion that people feel towards her. Um, she is covered in very severe acne. She has dull, greasy hair. And because her mother doesn't care about her, she's never really in any sort of fashionable clothing. In addition, her mother's odd religious rules sort of keep her in very outdated, ugly sets of garments that really already physically set her apart. From the moment Carrie enters kindergarten, she spends her entire academic life suffering from her peers. She's the subject of countless cruel social pranks, um, invitations to social outings where the entire point is to simply leave her behind. But no matter how often she's laughed at, she continues to try to form relationships with these people and that's what actually angers them more. The fact that Carrie can't seem to catch on to the fact that she's friendless and unlikable and a complete social outcast. At the time of the incident that happens at the beginning of the novel, Carrie has no one. There's no band of misfits that she's together with. She's completely on her own. And the novel opens in this scene where Carrie is showering in the girls' locker room after a gym class. Um, all the girls shower together and suddenly Carrie gets her period. Now Carrie's mother never ever taught her about her menstrual period or anything about her sexuality, fearing that Carrie would somehow become sexually sinful. Carrie begins to panic as blood runs down her legs and she assumes that she's dying. Now notably Carrie is 16 at the time, probably too old to have gotten her menses this late and definitely too old in the eyes of her peers to not understand what's happening to her. Her classmates, led by a wealthy popular girl named Chris Harkinson, mock and throw tampons and pads at her all while screaming, plug it up, plug it up. There's a moment where the gym teacher, Coach Rita Desjardin, comes in and attempts to rescue Carrie, but not before taking this very pivotal moment to stand there and watch Carrie get tormented by her peers. She's on the floor, naked, bleeding, getting her period for the first time, while girls throw tampons in her and laugh, telling her to plug it up, as Carrie looks back on them in what's described as bovine eyes. I want to stop and acknowledge at this point that even Stephen King himself has said that he feels no remorse for Carrie and it's somewhat ironic that a character he meant to write as so revolting that even the audience couldn't identify with her became somewhat of an anti-hero for all people who felt bullied and were able to get their revenge because if you know nothing about Carrie you would know that she eventually snaps at a high school prom and basically kills her you know everyone in the town. But let's go back to the thing that probably really sets her off. Carrie is naked and bleeding on the ground, being tormented by her peers who scream, plug it up and plug it up. And her coach, the teacher, the person who's supposed to be on her side, takes a notable few minutes to stare at her before slapping Carrie so that she can get a hold of herself. In the coach's inner monologue, the coach feels a sense of guilt because she doesn't feel bad for Carrie. She felt like she wanted to slap her and she acknowledges that it felt good to hit Carrie to punish her for being so stupid. On the way home um, from this incident after being sent home, Carrie first ponders her idea of telekinesis and in response to asking her mother, 
why she never told her about her menstrual cycle, her mother locks her in a closet, one of her mother's most frequent abuses. Now, the next day, the coach, feeling guilty, reprimands the girls who bullied Carrie, giving them a week's detention and telling them that if they don't cooperate, they'll be suspended from the prom. Sue Snell, one of the popular girls who bullied her, begins to feel this immense sort of guilt and wants a way to make Carrie feel better. Now, notably, even Sue Snell, who's performing this quote-unquote altruistic act in her inner monologue, also confesses that she doesn't she feels bad because what she did to Carrie was indicative of her own evil and not because she's ever thinking about Carrie's feelings. Deep down, she's still disgusted by Carrie for some unknowable reason. But she invites her boyfriend, Tommy, the most popular boy in school, to ask Carrie to go to the prom with him. Tommy asks Carrie to attend the prom and Carrie immediately declines, saying it's just another one of the cruel pranks. But Tommy eventually convinces her to go and they go as prom dates together. Meanwhile, Chris, the girl who originally started the Plug It Up, gets together with some lowlife named Billy Nolan and together they plot to essentially rig the prom so that Tommy and Carrie will win um, homecoming, or not homecoming, prom king and queen. And then they'll toss pig's blood on Carrie and Tommy, which they do. Carrie has a magical night of her life. Um, She's finally being treated like a human being. And importantly, it's the only time in the novel where she's shown as lovable. Tommy, who originally agreed to take Carrie to the prom as a favor to his girlfriend, Sue, actually finds himself falling in love with her and describes her as beautiful, a kind soul, Unfortunately, Carrie never knows that because as the pig's blood comes crashing down on Carrie, the bucket hidden in the rafters falls, knocks Tommy out, concusses him. He later dies from that head injury. And about five minutes later, Carrie electrocutes everyone in the gym using her unfounded powers of telekinesis to eventually blow up her town. Now, I've skipped over a lot of plot, but basically what you need to know is this girl is bullied from the very beginning. The key characters that I mentioned all have a sense of hatred and revulsion towards Carrie and that she stems from an incredibly abusive home. Carrie is an outstanding novel for many reasons. It exposes fat phobia. It's a really interesting examination of how bullying can manifest and who is justified in seeking revenge for their peers. Was Carrie wrong for killing everyone in her high school? Well, basically everyone in her high school and blowing up the town for after they treated her? Technically, yes, but did they deserve it for laughing at her after she was covered in pig's blood, tormenting her for her entire life, and all of the adults in the building allowing her to continue on or allowing this bullying to continue on? It's an interesting question. But I think what stands out to me the most about Carrie is the idea that parental alienation or neglect marks you for bullying from your peers and teachers. If the runt of the litter is rejected by the mother, then the other puppies are similarly cruel to the runt and ignore it for resources. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that that dynamic isn't replicated by humans. When we see humans who have been otherwise neglected or abandoned from the very people who are supposed to take care of it, I I think there's almost something instinctual and horrible 
and monstrous about the fact that we feel like we can do whatever. It's why the worst crimes perpetrated against children are often perpetrated on those who very clearly have no adult or loved one or anyone who cares about them in their life to intervene on the abuse that they may experience. It's why they're the most vulnerable children in our society, the kids that are unloved. Carrie goes home every day to an incredibly abusive and evil mother after experiencing bullying day in and day out from her peers simply because they can tell she's different. At any point in all of the bullying incidences um, that Carrie recalls, her mother could have stepped in. Her mother could have prevented her from attempting to go on so many outings with kids that hated her. Her mother could have prevented her from socializing um, with those children. Her mother could have sent her to a different school or at least tried to adjust her wardrobe or, you know, give her some soap to wash her face, but she doesn't. If anything, her mother continues to reinforce the bullying that she gets in school by coming home and mocking her for it and saying that it's her fault for going out in the world and being so sinful. And Carrie only pursues this zeal of trying to fit in with her peers because what she's told to fit in with is an abusive life of her mother, a dynamic that I think I saw replicated many times in high school. I'm specifically thinking about a kid um, who used to be mocked for smelling weird and having unwashed clothes. And I remember telling my dad about it. And after he thoroughly cussed me out for talking about a kid like that, which I deserved, um, he pointed out that if someone's wearing dirty clothes day in and day out, their family either can't afford laundry or nobody in that house cares that the kid can't afford laundry. And that's probably why the teachers didn't feel any sort of obligation to intervene. Because if someone made a cruel comment to me in class, a teacher would quickly address it like that instantly. But that kid was mocked relentlessly and he never came back after freshman year um understandably so and even then teachers would allow jokes to be made about him like up until we graduated three whole years after he stopped interacting with his peers even carrie's literary father aka stephen king experienced an almost parental neglect with Carrie because in interview after interview, Stephen King has emphasized that he just can't find himself to feel bad. And if you've read the novel, you know what I'm talking about. There's not a lot of Carrie's perspective that we get. We get a lot of the things done to her and we get very basic like, you know, this was bad, this made me sad, but other characters go into great detail about their inner monologues. Sue Snell, who invites Carrie to prom, has pages and pages of an inner monologue that explores how she feels about Carrie, her own popularity, her own place in society. Even the gym coach, who doesn't really have a super important role, or the principal, gets these pages of inner monologue, and we're limited to Carrie's feelings, just to happy, sad, mad, bad, oh look, I'm telekinetic. And yes, that's somewhat of an oversimplification, but I think it really points to the fact that not even Stephen King could imagine that someone could feel bad for Carrie. And I think that's why he doubles down on all the bad things that happened to her. Because Carrie's feelings are not described at length, but the abuse that Carrie experiences is the horrible things that she go to are offered in more detail on the page than any sort of 
thoughtful examination of her experiences. And that was a deliberate choice on the author because, you know, and I may be repeating myself here, but Stephen King just couldn't feel bad for her. And I, in earlier interviews, when this novel came out in the 70s, Stephen King actually expressed some bafflement that anyone would see Carrie as some sort of antihero because she was meant to be a complete and utter monster. We're not supposed to feel bad that Carrie, who had pig's blood dumped on her after her one night of feeling beautiful and special in her entire miserable 16 years, is supposed to react with complete and utter unbridled rage rage before dying tragically after being stabbed by her mother and taking out her pain all over the town. It's not a coincidence that Carrie eventually succumbs to wounds imposed by her mother, but not before punishing everyone else who directly or indirectly or even just tangentially knew people who directly or indirectly harmed Carrie in some way. She was never supposed to be sympathetic and I think it offers the question of what did Stephen King actually think was the proper revenge for these types or is the horror to him and was the horror supposed to be to the readers that someone who has been so fundamentally rejected from society would actually take her revenge. Now, granted, the way I interpret it and the way many other people have interpreted it is, fuck yeah, Carrie. I mean, this is not a real occurrence. And honestly, yeah, fuck yeah, Carrie, for getting your lick back. Per those people should have never poured Big's blood on you and they never should have made fun of you. And it is implied that... Carrie is pretty underneath it all. You know what I mean? And I think her inner bad bitch is really going to come out in college. RIP to her. And happy Halloween. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the video. If you liked this episode, please rate it five stars on Apple Music and Spotify. It helps me out so much. As always, you can reach out to me on TikTok, Spotify, YouTube, Spotify. Well, yes, I actually do have a Spotify prompt. You can leave your topic suggestions. So TikTok, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. I love responding to your DMs. They always make my day and I really appreciate the ideas for new content. I'm always searching for new ideas and ways that I can expand and challenge myself intellectually. So I love the fact that you were here. I love you so much for listening. And thank you for helping me get to 30 episodes. Seriously, it means so much.